Good afternoon, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 104. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and still looking at the prophecies that foretold the birth of Christ, or the coming of a Messiah at least. These prophecies and ideas that kind of consume my thinking in this Advent season that leads up for four weeks to Christmas. We are right now in the second week of Advent, and so in a lot of seasons I have taken a theme for each of these weeks, but this year i just like to kind of walk with you through the thoughts that I think are really significant as we once again look to the birth of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. In the previous two episodes, we talked about the Messiah as Wonderful Counselor, as Mighty God. Today, I want to reflect on what it means to be Everlasting Father. It's interesting to me that each of the nouns has this adjective that goes with it. The Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. It's as though the noun needs that modifier to tell you the purpose for which the Messiah comes. Because a lot of counselors aren't wonderful. There are a lot of gods, but only one that's mighty. And then this, this name, Everlasting Father. There, there really are, in my experiences, two kinds of fathers on this earth. The kind that nobody wants to see go. Because he never missed a game. He never missed a recital. He never missed an event. Into his old age, his kids could call on him for counsel and advice and support. He was an encourager. He was the guy who was always there, who was always on your side, who was always fighting for his family and for his children and for what was right. And then there's the other kind. The dad who was never there. And, you know, I teach school in this day and age. I go to school events, to ball games, to to performances. I look out over the crowd. I remember when I was a kid, the, the grandstands would be packed. Even for junior varsity games, freshman games, things that didn't count for state championships or any of that kind of stuff, the stands would be packed with moms and dads, brothers and sisters and family members and community members cheering on those teams that that weren't yet the varsity. And now it's just a handful of parents 
who even bother to show up. I look at the football team and there's there's 24 kids out there, maybe 30. There should be at least 60 parents and grandparents in the stands and there's 30, maybe one per kid. Not always that. I remember having a teammate one time who said, I wish my dad would just come for one game. My teammate's dad had been an all-star athlete and my teammate wasn't. He he didn't start. He, he got a suit. He got to sit on the bench, but but he never got into a game. I remember the game, the night that he finally got into the game. We were ahead by like 30 points in a basketball game. And there was only four minutes left or so. The coach thought it was really safe. And so he called my friend into the game. And my friend runs out onto the court and looks up into the stands. And my eyes followed his gaze because I knew where his mom always sat. And there was his dad. His dad had come to the game, the game he got to play in, and his dad was there, and his dad was reading a book. And the entire time, the last four minutes of the game that my friend played, he played his heart out. He handled the ball three or four times. He made some brilliant passes. He took a shot and missed, but it was a good shot. And his dad sat there reading a book, ignoring his son's moment to finally get into the game. And at the end of the game, his mom came down and said, son, that was, that was a tremendous effort. You played really well. And he's like, dad, did you see me? He's like, uh, yeah, good job, son. And we went to the locker room and my friend said, I don't think my dad saw a single play that I made. He sat there the whole time with his face in that book. And and I was really glad to have a dad who, when I started, when I didn't, when I didn't even get a suit and just went to cheer my team on, my dad was there every game, every concert, every recital. He came to my senior recital in college. I was a voice major. And I sang a bunch of highbrow music that I know my father had no clue what it was about. But he came and and he took me to dinner when it was over. And they celebrated this milestone that I'd completed. I had that kind of dad, but I've seen the other kind. A few years ago, I sat with a little family who just lost their husband and father. And they didn't go to my church, but one of their cousins did and called me and said, Pastor, they've got nobody. They've got no church, no pastor. Could you stand in and help them with this funeral? And I said, sure. So I met them in my office. And as we sat there for the first time, I tried to kind of get them talking so I could get to know this person that I'd never met before I tried to share a funeral message about them. And I said, could you tell me What's the funniest thing you ever saw your dad do? Now, most families chuckle and they come up with some story or two or three or four or five. These ladies, the three daughters and the ex-wife just stared at me with this blank, almost angry look. 
the silence got so uncomfortable that I said, well, okay, um, maybe tell me the kindest thing that you ever saw him do. And again, I got absolutely blank stares and dead silence. I said, okay, well, I'd like to be able to bring some point to bear at his funeral. What's the one thing that you hope people will remember most about him? And after several more seconds of uncomfortable silence, one of the daughters spoke up and she said, Preacher, you need to know one thing. He's dead, and there's not a person in this room that's sad he's gone. Wow. I wasn't ready for that. I don't think I still can quite comprehend a life lived so poorly, so violently, so abusively, that when he's gone, there's nobody who misses him. If you don't have that kind of dad, you should probably thank God every day for the dad that you had. Everlasting father. Somebody told me once the problem with fathers is they never stay forever. I talked to a dad who was facing the end of his life a few months ago and I said, have you enjoyed your life? He's like, yep, there's only one other thing I could wish for. I said, what's that? He said, more time, more time. The sad thing is that dads don't last forever. Some turn and walk away at a young age. Some abandon their families early on. Those that stay for the long run still leave us. And if they're 92, it still seems like it's too soon. Fathers don't last forever. Their love lasts forever. Their influence lasts the remainder of our lives. But when they're gone, we miss them. We miss that, that strong, steady influence in our lives. And then Isaiah says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The Father who never quits. The Father who never fails. The Father who never turns on us. Never raises his voice, never gets angry. Never raises a hand against us. The Father of whom the Bible says, if he is for us, who can stand against us? I understand that in this day and age, in a lot of churches, they've kind of gone to gender non-specific language for God. They avoid references to God the Father. I even heard one pastor a couple of years ago pray, Dear God, our Heavenly Father and Mother, and I understand the sentiment behind that. And I understand that spirit doesn't have gender. That God isn't male or female. God is God. Transcending 
gender, transcending time, transcending space, transcending any definitive boundaries we would put on him. And yet, there's something about that patriarchal rock. The one that matters when he's there. The one who cheers, the one who supports, the one who encourages. I remember being in high school and walking out into the yard when school was over. I'd take my basketball and I'd I'd play basketball. I stopped playing team basketball. I was in band and choir and speech and debate and academics and all kinds of other things. I didn't really have time for basketball, but I'd always loved it. My dad was an old basketball coach and he'd come out and play basketball with me in the yard, challenge me and and show me how to be better at a game I wasn't even gonna play competitively. I'd go out and throw my paper out on my paper out, there was this kid who was on our, our school basketball team. He was one of the stars. And every day, he'd be out there shooting baskets. And he'd say, hey, Hopkins, you want to play some basket? I'd say, sure, let's shoot. He's like, what do you want to play? Horse, pig, 21? Oh, let's play to 21. And every day, not most days, every day, day after day, I would beat that kid because I could play with my dad and my dad taught me the tricks and he taught me the moves and he taught me the ways to take advantage of my size and play basketball. And, and over and over that kid would say to me, why are you not on the basketball team? I loved basketball. I just had other things to do. But my dad took the time almost every single day to come out there into our uneven basketball court with my rubber basketball and and play basketball with me and teach me the basics of the game. When I was an adult, I was coaching my kids' basketball team. We played a tournament in a gym that belonged to a well-known coach in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He'd coached at the college level. He he was extremely well-known, and he'd opened this, this clinic gym where he could teach young kids the developmental game of basketball. And we played in this tournament, and he was there, and his son was taking over the gym. There was a break between games, and my, I was helping my kids shoot. I took a basketball and stood on the free throw line and shot two or three free throws. He came over, he said, well, I see you've played this game a lot. And I thought, you know, I really haven't. Played a little intramural in college, played up until high school, but after that, I never played the game except in my yard with my dad, who taught me how to shoot free throws the proper way because it's always the same distance and they're guaranteed points if you can hit them. That was the dad I had. Now he's 90. I understand that my days with my dad are numbered. I guess they always were, but now that number's very short. I wish he was an everlasting father. 
but the things that he's given me are things I can never lose. He can't get out and shoot baskets with me anymore. We probably won't ever go golfing together again. But those things that he's given me, those moments, those times, those memories, that advice, that encouragement, that support, nothing in this world or in the world after this can ever take that away from me. But I wish it was more. And I look at God, my Father, because He is everything my earthly dad has been and more. Because He'll never die. He'll never leave. He'll never forsake me. He'll never give up on me. He'll never turn His back on me. He'll never scold me. He'll never call me wrong. He'll always welcome me into His arms. He'll always take my side. He'll always wrap me up in his embrace and carry me forward. He is my everlasting father. And I really need that this Christmas.